Good morning. Like a number of you, I have a, a cold this morning, and I'm trying to uh, preserve my voice so that I can make it all the way through, and that it won't be a uh, impediment. Um, we continue our way through Second Corinthians today. Um, and uh, we are another Sunday where we just have one verse before us, chapter 5, verse 20. Um, and these verses are just so precious that uh, I can't see just combining them all and trying to look at them. Um, so again, forgive me for those of you who find it hard to go so slow. Let's uh, read together 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We're just covering 20 today, sorry. That's next week. Um, and uh, there are three things that he says, three points. First, we'll talk about how we are ambassadors for Christ. Then we'll talk about God making his appeal through us. And then we'll talk about, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Okay then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Um, being a Christian is much more than just, I already got one, but yeah, that's okay. I may need two, so thank you very much. Being a Christian is much more than just having a certain set of beliefs or a certain set of moral principles that we live by. It is a calling to be an ambassador. We are ambassadors of Christ and therefore we represent Christ in this world. By the way that we speak and by the way that we live. We represent his interests. We act not out of our own personality or our own uh, giftedness so much as we act on behalf of our king. And being an ambassador means that we live in a foreign land. Ambassadors don't live in their homeland. And we are living in a foreign land. This is not our country. America is not our homeland ultimately. This world is not our home. We belong to a different nation. We're placed here on a mission on behalf of our king. And it is an honor to be an ambassador. The Lord has chosen to use such weak and earthen vessels to represent him in this world and to carry forth such a precious treasure as the gospel of his son. 
And as ambassadors, we need to cooperate with him. We need to be faithful channels of his appeal through us to others. We need to speak the message he gives us to speak with great boldness and with love. As those who have been sent by him and are speaking on his behalf. This is an all-absorbing job. You know, you can go get a job and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, be able to go home and to have time with your family and forget about your job. But being an ambassador is not that kind of job. You're never off duty when you're an ambassador. It's a 24-7 job. And there's no retirement from this job either. Until he calls us home, we are to represent him in this world. You see, it's not just a job. You can't, you know, if you uh, think about how much more efficient it would be to hire someone to be the ambassador of the Fiji Islands who lives there, who knows the culture, and, you know, you just hire him to do a job. But someone who is a citizen of Fiji can't be the ambassador of the United States to Fiji. It's got to be an American. And likewise, the job of being an ambassador for Christ isn't just a job. It has to be someone who belongs to that country, the country of Christ, and who loves that country very deeply. A few years ago, my daughter lives in a West African country, most of you know, and uh, the ambassador to that country from the United States was passing nearby their town. And he heard that there was an American who lived in this town. And so he brought his whole entourage and knocked on their door. And he came in and he sat down and spent time with Michelle, getting to know her and, and connecting with her. You know, that would never have happened if he was some corporate executive who was there looking for you know, economic opportunities or some scientist or archaeologist that was there for, for those kind of purposes. But this was an ambassador. And he, he didn't have to do this. But he was interested in her because she was an American. And thus it is that being an ambassador is much more than just fulfilling a certain job. And being an ambassador means that you don't live in your own house. Your house is not your house. Your house is an embassy. Your house belongs to your country. Your king. And that's what it's there for. It's provided for you, yes. But it's provided for you that you might serve your king. So the first principle is that we are ambassadors for Christ. The second one is that God is, is making his appeal 
through us. As ambassadors, we deliver the message he has commissioned us to deliver. The gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a message of reconciliation. A call to others to surrender to the king. An appeal to stop resisting him and instead come to him. Now being an ambassador of Christ means amazingly that God himself makes his appeal through us, through his people. We urge others to make their peace with God, whether they're believers or non-believers. And in doing so, it is actually God himself who is appealing to them through us. That's what this is saying. We are his mouthpieces. We are his spokesmen. This is one of the greatest challenges of being a preacher. You know, you can be a Bible teacher and get up and tell people what the Bible says, just like someone, a, bi- a biology teacher or an English teacher could get up and teach on that subject. But the preacher has a calling that's beyond that. It is to speak to people on behalf of the Lord. As 1 Peter 4 says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. It's much more than just information that's going on, the impartation of information. Now, of course, you can speak for God in an obnoxious way. People insert their lives into other, insert themselves into other people's lives in arrogance and cockiness. But we're not talking here about anything other in this passage than people telling others how to be reconciled through Christ, to God through Christ. And the, their tone is even reflected here in this passage. It's not one of ordering around. It's one of appealing, even begging, on behalf of Christ for the person to be reconciled to God. So we need to not only communicate the message of Christ, but to reflect the attitude of Christ in communicating that message. You see, we appeal because he appeals. We call them because he is calling them. We invite them because he is inviting them. You know, when Jesus, um, at the, that last time he came to Jerusalem, the time when he, he entered in triumphantly on the Palm Sunday. When he first got to Jerusalem, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together 
as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. So Jesus talks about the fact that the prophets were sent by God to Israel to plead with them to come, to return back to God. And it gives, and in what he says, it, it gives us a glimpse of the Lord's heart that was behind the prophet's plea. The Lord longed to gather his people to himself like a mother hen gathers her little brood of chicks. The Lord wanted to gather his little ones to be near him, to be under his wings. But they wouldn't come. They were not willing, as he says. They said no to the Lord's invitation. They even stoned the messengers. But the prophet's job was not to be safe. It was not to protect himself. It was to deliver the Lord's message in the Lord's way. The third, so the first thing that we talked about was that we are ambassadors for Christ. Then we talked about how God is making his appeal through us. And the third thing that this passage talks about is how we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Our message, our gospel, our appeal to others is to be reconciled to God through Christ. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you, the promise of James 4, 8. It's astonishing that we have a God who implores us to come to him. He could justly say, depart from me. And he eventually will say that to those who refuse him. But today, to us, he is amazingly imploring us to come to him. And because of this, in his name, we implore others. And so listen now, as I, in his name, implore you. And I implore all of you. Because the church is a mixed bag. In any church, there's a significant number who have no true faith in their hearts. It's especially hard regarding those who grew up in church. My brother and I, who both became Christians in high school, have spent our lives having our family members roll their eyes at us because we're Christians. They put up with us, but honestly, they don't really take us into their hearts. Recently, I've gone my whole life without having a life verse, but recently, the Lord gave me a life verse, or actually two. First, from Romans 10.20, where the Lord says, I have been found 
by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. And the second one from Psalm 27.10. My father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. This has been my experience and our experience. But when you grow up in a Christian home, the opposite is true. It's easy to say you're a Christian. It's hard to say you're not. It's much easier just to go along with it while you're still at home. And that's why it's hard to tell if a person is sincere in his faith until they live that faith on their own. But even those who truly know Christ need to be appealed to, need to be implored. This, these words that we're looking at and focusing on this morning, they were written to Christians, not to non-Christians. We all need to be reconciled to God every day. We drift away. We go astray. We sin and rebel. We forget how much we need him. We think we're okay on our own. Sadly, I am not unfamiliar with this myself. Even as a pastor, I wander from the Lord. I have a list of sins that I confess. I have too many to confess on any given day, so I divide them up. Here's my Monday sins to confess, and my Tuesday sins to confess. And one of them, or many of them, have to do with this very thing. And one of them is the sin of Christlessness. And I've told you before that I'd like to write a book called, I Used to Be a Christian, Now I'm a Pastor. It's very easy to live a Christless life, to drift from him. And yet Christ extends his hands to us and calls to us. Come to me, he says. One of the great invitations from God in the Bible is in Isaiah 55. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me, here that your soul may live. And in this passage you see over and over again God's appeal to people who have wandered away. Come, come to the waters. Come, come and eat. Come, listen to me. Eat of me. Delight yourselves in me. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And so I say in the name of the Lord, will you come? Most folks won't, you know. Romans 10.21 says, The Lord is speaking, All day long I have held out my hands 
to a disobedient and contrary people. And in Revelation 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The Lord is knocking. This says something about God's attitude to us, toward us. He is knocking on the door of our hearts. He wants to gather us to himself. It's so easy, though, to ignore the knocking. To even be bothered by the knocking. But it's time to open the door. David wrote two psalms in reflection upon the incident of his adultery with Bathsheba and his murder of her husband Uriah. Psalm 51 and Psalm 32. And in Psalm 32, he describes the period of time when he was resisting the Lord. When he had wandered from the Lord and he was refusing to come back to the Lord in repentance. He describes this time, he says, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. That's the way a lot of people are living right now. Refusing to come back and their lives are miserable because they're not at peace with God. They're still holding on stubbornly. But then when he finally opens his heart toward the Lord, it was wonderful. He says, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You are a hiding place for me. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And then reflecting back on the lessons that he's learned through his own bad behavior. Not just his bad behavior in the original sin, but his bad behavior in refusing to repent of that sin and come back to the Lord. And in teaching the lesson that he learned, he says, Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. The Lord wants us to stay near him. But we have hearts that wander. We prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. That's who we are. And David has learned the hard way of the consequences of this. And he begs his hearers, don't be like me. Don't be like a mule that has to be strong-armed to keep it near its master. Be one of those who wants to be there, who comes to the Lord, who stays close to the Lord, who seeks the Lord, who doesn't quickly forget that he needs the Lord desperately.
Have you ever given your life and heart to Christ? Have you ever said, Lord, I have nowhere else to go and no one else to turn to? I'm not worthy, Lord, but I desperately need you. You have been so good to me. You've given me so many gifts. But never have I enjoyed you, the giver. You know, in the Jesus' parable about the prodigal son in Luke 15, there's a little picture of the imploring, of the welcoming of the Lord as the father is waiting for his son to come to his senses. And the son is spending all of his money in sinful living. The father is waiting for the son to come to the point where he recognizes how much he needs his father. And when he finally comes back, the father welcomes him with open arms and celebrates his return. But, you know, many of us are in the same place as that prodigal son. Before he returns, we still have a few shekels in our pockets that we can spend on our own pleasures. So our minds haven't yet turned to the Lord to our Father, to our desperate need. We haven't come to grips. We haven't hit bottom. Sometimes we are so stubborn and so rebellious and so proud that even when we come to the end of ourselves, we just think there has to be another way. I don't, there has to be somewhere else for me to go. And until we're starving to death, we still don't come. When's the last time that you came to the Lord as a little chick comes to his mother hen and hid yourself under the shadow of his wings? He invites everyone. He even holds out his hands to those who are stubborn and stiff-necked like you and me. But he does not accept everyone. He invites everyone. He does not accept everyone. He receives only those who want him. Those who fear him. Those who know they need him. He does not accept those who think he's boring. This is the one to whom I will look, he says in Isaiah 66 too. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He doesn't welcome those who think they're already fine without him. Who think they're rich and prosperous and need nothing. He doesn't help those who don't realize that they are wretched, blind, poor, and naked. Jesus says, come to me in Matthew 11. Come to me, all ye who are weary 
and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He only calls those who are weary and burdened. He doesn't call those who think they're fine. In that passage I just referred to in Revelation 3.17 about the wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He mocks people like that in that verse. He says, he quotes them as saying, I am rich, I have prospered, there's nothing that I need. And yet even then, in the next verse, he urges them to come to him. To come to him for their treasure. To come to him for their clothing, to cover their sin and shame. To come to him for the healing of their eyes, so that they might truly see. In Luke 14, Jesus tells us about a man who once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I have to go examine them. Please excuse me. And another said, I've married a wife, therefore I can't come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. And then the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, go out to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there's room. And the master said to his servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled For I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. We are sent by our master to urge people to come to his banquet. Some are offended by the invitation. And Christians in our society are, are told often, you know, it's fine for you to believe what you want to believe. Just don't impose on others. Don't try to convince us. Don't tell us what you think we need to do. But our Lord Jesus demands it. And love demands it. If people are starving and we know where the food is, love demands that we tell people, And urge them to come. And so this morning. In his name I call to you. To come to Jesus. Come to his great feast of grace. You know sometimes people come to a wedding or a birthday party. Without really knowing 
the people involved. You know, sometimes you get a wedding invitation and it says you can bring, an, uh, bring a, someone else. So you take a friend, even though your friend has no idea who these people are getting married. And he comes to the party. But to him, it's just a party. It's just a wedding. And that's the way church is for some of you. But now I'm calling you to come not to the party. I'm calling you to come to Jesus. You've come to his party all your life. Now it's time to come to Jesus. He's knocking. Open the door. Open the door. Don't take his invitation lightly. Many say, I'll deal with it later. Verse 24 of Luke 14 makes it clear that those who refuse the invitation in the end will not partake of the banquet. And as it says just a few verses later in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2, just like three or four verses into the future of where we are, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't be like the foolish virgins who enjoyed the party, enjoyed the fellowship, and yet put off their obtaining Christ himself. And by the time they began to think about that, the door had been shut and it was too late and they were left out. There's nowhere else to go. The world even knows this. They know that there's no place to go for real hope. They've given up on hope. They know that nothing in this world really satisfies. They've given up on that. But there is a feast. There is a hope. There is what a water of life, and it is Jesus. Come, 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 come to Jesus. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you have been so kind to not write us off and not be so disgusted with us that you just flush us. But in spite of our unworthiness, you have extended yourself to us. You have provided a path of salvation for us. You have given yourself to those who did not seek you. 
Instead of just waiting for us, you came after us. May it be today, O Lord, that we all open the door that you might come in and that we might eat with you and fellowship in the context of your intimate presence. For Lord, our hearts are empty unless they're filled with you. Now, O Lord, we thank you for this sacrament that we have before us. This place where you call us to take and eat and taste your goodness. And dear Lord, we want to partake of all that you have for us today. But not just your gifts, we want to partake of you. Help us to come to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.